by having us, I've got a lot, some scripture to cover as an entry point. I did want to assume that everyone is either familiar with what happens in Luke 24 or has been here the past few weeks, but we couldn't put enough, I, I, I had only so much room in the handout and uh, they put as much scripture as, as, as they could in there. So what I'm gonna do is we're gonna scroll, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn to Luke 24, but we're gonna scroll it on the overhead as well. I'm gonna read through it. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time covering what we've already addressed. Just kind of use it as a setup, a ta- uh, setting the table, if you will. So it says in, in Luke 24, 13, here we go. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. The village was about seven miles from Jerusalem. That very day would have been Easter. It would have been the first Sunday, the day that Jesus rose. Uh, they didn't know that and they didn't believe it at the time. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, we're told something happened, that Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But we're also told, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, so they didn't know it was him. He was a stranger who had joined them on the road to Emmaus, one who was entering into their conversation. And he said to them, this stranger, who is this com- what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, now we know his name, named Cleopas, answered him. So are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, now what things? And they said to him, the, th- the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, uh, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Did you hear about how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death? The Romans, they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, the promised one, the Messiah. Yes, and, and, and besides all this, it's now been actually three days since this happened. Moreover, there were some women in our company. They amazed us. Uh, they came back, actually today, this morning. They had gone to the tomb early, and they didn't find his body. Some, something had happened. Uh, they came back. They said that they had seen, even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it. It was true, just as the women had said. It, had, it was empty. But they, they, didn't, they didn't find his body. They didn't see him. Him they did not see. And then the stranger must have, must have shocked them with his words. Oh, foolish one and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And we talked about what an amazing Bible study that must have been as they walked along the road to Emmaus. They had this stranger who was Jesus incognito, sharing with them all the things in the scriptures that prophesied of his suffering and his glory. It must have been an astonishing tour through the scriptures. And then verse 28, Luke 24, this is in your handout. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted, this, this one who had joined them on the road, he acted as if he were, he, was go, he were going farther and they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, no, 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 stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. It's almost night, it's, 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 the day is done. So would you stay with us? And so he went to stay with them. 
And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. Now, this is where we left off last week, that the one who had been invited in as the guest had assumed the role of the host. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And the movement, the movement of Jesus, this stranger, breaking the bread and giving, giving it to them connects us to another incident that occurred four days earlier. It was a moment as well. It was actually the night of his betrayal. And on the night of his betrayal, when he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, he, the Passover that will become known as the Last Supper, right? This is actually, I put this piece in your handout as well. You'll see it's on the other side of the column there, Luke 22. I just wanted to revisit it for a moment, thinking about the connection. Look at this, it goes back again to the night of his betrayal. When, they, when the time had come, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. This was a tender, sacred moment right now. For I tell you now, because Jesus knows where it's all going, and he's with the people he has loved the most, poured his life into. He's trained them. He's given his best. And yet he knows what's going to happen. And it makes this Passover, which in so many ways was connected to him, for all the Passover lamb anticipated he would become. The very idea of the blood of the lamb that becomes the marking point of deliverance in Israel out of their Egyptian bondage. It connects all the way back to this moment. Jesus saw it so clearly. He says, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this. And I need you to share it among yourselves because I'm not going to drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come in this ceremony of Passover. His fulfillment is about to happen. And then he took some bread. There it is. And he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces. And he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup of new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But at, here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. This is the plan. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays, betrays him? Disciples, And then the disciples begin to ask each other who it was that he was talking about. Now, the, the Passover table was a place of intimacy and friendship. And the betrayal by Judas was ultimately abu an abuse of intimacy, as all betrayal really is at a relational level. And as a result, it stands out in, in kind of a perverse contrast to the melancholy beauty of that moment as Jesus is sharing like the sacrificial beauty that that meal represented, the self-imposed vulnerability of the Lord that it symbolized. The point was that I'm having us think about it, though, was the bread. When Jesus says, take this bread, something they had been doing for generations, he says, take this bread 
And when you eat it, think of this as my body that will be broken for you. And as long as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we still do this. That's something we'll be doing again next week in the evening. Together, there's something about it. it oh, it's, it's interesting because earlier on in his ministry in John 6, Jesus had literally called himself the bread of life. Uh, it was a curious designation that actually went all the way back to the time of Moses, right? There was this time when God miraculously delivers Israel out of Egyptian bondage. This newly emancipated, emancipated nation is sort of sustained by God in the wilderness with this, what is described as a kind of food or a seed that, that turned in, that they could make bread out of. It was called manna. And Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life, the bread that sustains. Let me show you a couple of verses, but just real quick. It says, Jesus said to them in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. See, I am the bread. It's one of his I am's. I am the bread of life. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. 47, John 6, 47, 48. Most assuredly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. There it is. I am the bread of life. 51, I am the living bread. Look at that, which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, you will live forever. And the bread that I shall give, there it is, is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This is what he was talking about, his brokenness, his body. And so in Emmaus, when he's breaking the bread, it's, fa it's a fascinating moment. Go back, if you can, to that 24th chapter, verse 30. 2430, it says when he, and where he's at the table, he, it says when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. I want us to see it in our mind's eye. I tried to imagine it myself. He's on the table with them. The one who has been the stranger is now welcomed in. Stay with us. He does. Then all of a sudden he assumes the role of the host. He takes the bread and then he breaks the bread. He, he blesses it. He, he takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And look at verse 31, and it says, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him immediately. And then he vanished from their sight. There's a lot of things happening here. Again, he takes the bread. He breaks the bread. As the bread is breaking, and as he's giving it to them, all of a sudden, he, he, he's revealed to them. So in that moment of the breaking, they recognize who he is. There's this exchange all happening at once, right? He breaks the bread. He gives it to them. As he's given it to them, they um, immediately recognize him, and then he's gone. Just like that. He's gone. And he breaks the bread and hands it to them, and their eyes are open. And, and, and I thought of this. Is it not so that, that in Christ's brokenness, God is made known, Right? Just like they knew him as he breaks the bread, so it is that God is known through the breaking of Jesus. He is made knowable in a way that was before not possible because of the cross. The brokenness of Christ, the sacrifice that he said he had come to give to pay a price for us we could never pay. In his brokenness, we, God is made knowable at a relational level in a way that was not possible before. Same thing, he breaks the bread and they see him. He breaks himself, and we can see him. It's a beautiful thing when we realize it. And then it says he vanished, which is fascinating. I spent, I was thinking about this. I was going, man, because you start reading the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, 
And it's really interesting because it has a lot to say about what we can think about what is yet to come. People are always interested about, hey, what's it going to be like when I die? Am I going to have my body? I mean, there's a lot of discussion around that in the scriptures. There's a lot of things that we don't know. One of the things that people tend to look at a lot is, well, what happened to the body of Jesus after his resurrection? I mean, he was, still had a body, but his body was different. It was the same. He could be recognized and unrecognized. Interesting. He could eat and drink and do things that we would normally do in his body. At the same time, it was clearly different. He could move in here, and time and space did not have the same kind of, of, of limitation on him. He, he, he could be touched, and yet he could be gone. Um, I think it was Pope Benedict. I was reading something he wrote, and he said, he said the resurrected body of Jesus represents an evolutionary leap in the human condition, which I found fascinating. It's almost like, like there, is, there is something about where we're going based on the resurrection of Jesus that tells us that we're going to have the same body, but it's going to be so much better and so much different. Recognizable and yet unrecognizable. Movement not limited in the way it is now. Um, matter, the way we can engage matter differently. Fascinating things to think about. Verse 32 says, they said to each other, and then ask, okay, so what happens is the, the stranger who they didn't know breaks the bread. As it's breaking, as he's handing it to them, they take it and they recognize who he is. As soon as they recognize who he is, he's gone. And then they turn to one another and they said, did, did not our hearts, look at that, 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? Did, wasn't that unlike anything you had ever experienced? When he opened up the scriptures to us, how did you feel? I felt like my heart was on fire as he revealed and opened up that word to me. Can you hear me when I say that is exactly what we need? Ah, we need this. We need to have hearts on fire. I need to have a heart on fire, heart of flame, hearts in love with God. The Christian life at its core is a matter of the heart. Always has been, always will be. It's about loving God. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest thing you can ever do? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor, love your others. And I would say, especially those closest to us, as you love yourself. And that has to do a lot with also learning how to love ourselves properly, which some of us struggle with that. We can either love ourselves too much or too little. And learning how to have a healthy self-love, I think, enhances our ability to love others as the Lord would have us to. But it's interesting what Jesus said when we talk about real greatness. It has nothing to do with what we acquire in life. I'm not anti-ambition. That is truly not the case. I have, I've worked myself on degrees. I've got three of them. Um, it's good, I suppose, to learn. It is. It's good to want to achieve. But in the end, can you hear me when I say the Lord... It doesn't, it doesn't matter to him, the degrees, or how much we've acquired, or how high we go in social status, and how much power we temporarily possess. Jesus warned us on more than one occasion, be very careful about the seduction of power. Do not live your life, he says, as the Gentiles do, 
only pursuing authority. They love to lord it over those who are below them. Jesus says, do not live like that. He who is greatest among you, let him become a servant of all. There's a lesson there. There was no one greater than Jesus. He says, do not think that a man or a woman's life consists of the abundance of the things that they possess temporarily. It's not what we own. We're going to leave it all behind. We leave it behind to others. We have no idea what they're going to do with it. He says, be very careful about building up only a cachet for this life. Do not be poor towards God. Instead, be rich towards God. Be a blesser. Be a giver. If the Lord has given you means, then use that. Use that to bless. Use that to help. Use that to advance his kingdom. Use that to be a blessing to those who have less. Use the resources God gives us. But my point, that wasn't even my, the point of this uh, going here, but I'll... <laughs> I will say that, remember this, anything we've been given is just borrowed, and we've been given the, the choice to manage it, how we manage what is actually the Lord's. But remember what true success is in the eyes of Jesus. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. As I thought about this, I thought, Lord, you know, and you know what else I was thinking? I was sitting with this passage, and I was going, Lord, because I had a way I wanted to go with this message, and then I was struck a couple of days ago as I was not happy with the way I had conducted myself. And I felt like I had not, I felt like I had not honored the Lord properly. And uh, I felt, I, I was sitting with this passage and I said, Lord, you know, I understand what it is when you, when you said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, when you said, oh, foolish and slow to believe. And I said, Lord, I have not always loved you as I should. And I have been foolish and slow to believe. I have. I kept thinking about when he said, oh, foolish and slow to believe. Come on. Foolish, when I try to, like, Lord, take, I'm not listening or I'm not, I'm not honoring you the way I should or I'm slow to have faith in things that I'm afraid of, whatever it is. I go, I've been them. And then I started drilling down deep. I go, I'm no, I've been them. <laughs> I've been foolish and I've been slow to believe. I haven't always loved you the way you've loved me. My heart is not always on fire for you. I thought, not only have I been like the, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, foolish and slow to believe, I go, I've, been, I've probably been like Judas and I've been like Peter. I've, I, I, I also have, have betrayed him in different ways and, and denied him in different ways. Things, words that should have been said, words that, weren't, that were said that shouldn't have been said, deeds that should have been done, th deeds... Um, done and yet he loves us works with us you hear me can you hear me when i say this and i ask if they could just put this up and there's gonna be a series of things for those of us who are note takers that we can get into here but one of the things i want to suggest is that god wants us listen to be tender tender childlike open to wonder Alive, right? On fire. I was thinking about that for just God wants me to be tender. God wants me to not, not be jaded, not be an angry person, not to be resistant to Him, to have a tender heart. That's His best for us. I know we have, a lot of us learn to protect, but in the Lord, we need to have a tenderness. And that tenderness to the Lord will need to show up in our relationships with the people we say we love. Tender, uh, childlike, I didn't say childish. There's a difference, there's a difference. 
childlike. Faith comes easy to a child, right? Childlike, not childish. Open to wonder, open to, open to the ability to just be available to the beauty that's all around us, right? And the things that God wants to say to us. And then also, also uh, again, alive and on fire. I, something about you, Jesus was a man on fire. He was a burning bush, to use the language of Scripture, that was not consumed. In the book of Exodus, when God speaks to Moses about setting his people free, and Moses is like a shepherd in the middle of nowhere, and he sees this bush that was burning, but yet it was not consumed. And he goes up to it and he says, what is this? And the bush speaks. God's presence is there burning. I am that I am. Think about even when Jesus, when Jesus uses those I am statements, I am the bread of life, he's connecting back to that moment of a burning bush. When God says, when Moses says who, who, who shall I say sent me? Say that I am that I am. But I was thinking about that bush, it was burning. And when, and when God, what God was saying, when God speaks to Moses out of that burning bush, he's basically saying is, I want you to set my people free. And hear me out. When God decides to speak to humanity about being set free, he speaks through a burning man, if you will. The son of man, the son of God, a man utterly alive with the fire of God. So when God speaks to Moses about setting his people free, he speaks through the burning bush. When God speaks to humanity about being set free, he speaks through a burning man. And if we're truly alive, a man totally consumed with the past, the zeal of his house has consumed him. And if we're truly alive, if we're truly alive to God and we want to be difference makers for the Lord, we too got to catch that flame. And that flame will always be connected to staying close to the fire by spending time with him, by making him a priority in our busy lives. Or if I can put it in a different way, our dis many distractions in life, our distracted life. We have many options, don't we? You, you know what I noticed? Even the most busy people among us, we make time for what we love. It's amazing how much time we have, actually, to pursue things. Do we love him? I go back to the sea, the edge of the Sea of Galilee, when the Lord is working with Peter to recover after his damage, his failure, his life-defining failure. And he says to him, do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And we could spit. That's a beautiful moment, too. Okay, when our heart's on fire, and I just want to, we're going to, in the minutes that we have left, I want to talk about this from the angle of a heart that's on fire. And I'm going to suggest that when our heart is on fire, did get, what did they say? Was not, did not our hearts burn? When our heart is on fire, a couple of things will happen. Here they are. And again, we get on fire by getting close to him. Sometimes I just need to say, Lord, warm my heart again. Stir my heart again. Open me up again, Lord. Let your words come to life, alive in me again. The word that has carried me, I need a new word to carry me. 
my heart, my, my eyes are dry, my heart is hard. Prayers are cold, right? What can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up, as Keith Green said, with your oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Wash me anew in the wine of your blood. When our hearts are on fire, we tend to recognize him in fresh new ways and his words become alive in us. Just like the disciples realized Jesus was at the table, right? We start to, like, he was there all the time, they just didn't know it. And when your hearts get on fire, we recognize the Lord. In, we, we see things right in front of us, beautiful things that we were missing, right? It's like our eyes see different. When our heart is on fire, it's like their eyes were veiled. They didn't see him. He was there. It's almost as if when our heart is on fire and, and open to God, we, see, we start to see him in different ways. When our heart is on fire and we're, our love for God is, is like alive in us, pages that we've read a hundred times in the scriptures come alive in a different way. They surge with new meaning to us. All of a sudden, the passage we've read many, many times, it's alive. It's alive. Revelation breaks out. New perspectives, new understandings. We hear something. It's a word. It resonates inside of us. It gets in there. It starts to burn in there, right? When we're alive with God, his words far from being something tired and familiar start to take on ah, new life, fresh fire. And that's why it's important to shake things up every now and then in our devotional life with God. I'm talking to those who've been following the Lord for a little while. Got to move things around every now and then. Move the logs. Get some oxygen flow going. Fire lights up again. Secondly, that when our hearts are on fire, we find, and I love this, this is just something I loved. We find that creation is alive with lessons all over the place. And gratitude comes easy or more easily when our heart is on fire with God. When we start to have, when God's alive in us, when we start to feel Jesus moving in our life, when his word starts to come alive to us, it starts to have meaning to us. We hear it speaking to our life. We start listening to our life in a different way. All of a sudden, we look around us and we see things. We see things. We see, we will, when you think about it, when we're on our heart is on fire, we will hear him, the Lord, everywhere. I wrote myself a little poem, in the smile, in the morning light, in the conversation late at night, in the wind and in the sun, walking home when the day is done. I see you in the evening in the turning of the day. I hear you in the laughter and in the sadness and the things that people say. I hear you all over, Lord. Indeed, as Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Look at that. And the firmament, the skies above, shows his handiwork, his craftsmanship, for those of you who are artisans and builders. Day unto day utters speech. Every day speaks. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. God is speaking all over the place, all over every day. And he has not only a word that he speaks in general, he has a word that he speaks for us uniquely. And it will come in many times in ways that we were not expecting. It's as simple as taking a walk down a road. His word will show up and shake us at the core if we're open to it. His word comes. It can be, we can see him. We see him in I see him all over the... I was like, Lord, give me eyes to see and a heart to hear. I hear your voice. I want to I I feel it inside of me. He speaks to, all, to us all along the way throughout the day. What's more... When our heart's on fire, you guys, listen, gratitude flows easier, doesn't it? 
Ah, uh, because we realize this is when we're doing it right. This is how you know. Gratitude is easy. You know when our heart's not on fire? We're negative, quick to be, to be cynical. We own our wounds, but not in a way that is healthy. We own them in a way that defines us in a negative path. And it comes out in our words. Be careful about bitterness, the Bible says, because it corrupts many things. You say, well, you don't know my hurt. That's true. But I do know the pain that bitterness brings into other people's lives. The Lord has called us to be a people of gratitude. And um, when we realize what a gift it is to be alive, but I was thinking about it, a life that is, is <laughs> not only is it a gift to be alive, but we have, we have also, because of his life, our life is different, right? So it's like when we realize what a gift it is to be alive and that life is different because he is alive, then even the worst is better because of, of who we know. And I don't know how to say it, but I guess I was thinking about this. I was going, when we're anchored in your promise, then we start to realize that life is too short and also too long to get stuck in anger or malice. Listen to what I just said. Life is too short on this side and too long on the big side, right? In other words, if I think about it, my life is so, so, so small, really, in its duration. Do I want to get stuck in negative places? Do I want to get stuck in places that really aren't going to do anything for me? No. It, and then on the other hand, I think about it, my life has got a long arc to it because it, it has, if I walk with Jesus, no end. It's like, wow. I, so in either case, whether it's the short or the long, I have reasons to not allow myself to get stuck in, in negative thinking. And I'll tell you, you got to work harder at it the older you get. Because the, long, <laughs> the longer we live, the more hurt sometimes we experience and the more stuff we see, and the more stuff we see, the, the easier it is to just start to like, let that thing seep into us and define us. But I'm going to tell you something about Jesus, and I've said this before. It wasn't, I'm not the first one to say it. I think it was Dallas Willard who said it. But when they saw Jesus, they did not say, there he goes, the unhappy man. He was the happy man on fire. His yo I was sending a note to my mother today was last night, actually. She was telling me she was bearing some weight. She, I said, how you doing? I knew my son was gone. My youngest son has been helping her in her restaurant up north in Florence, Oregon, called the Waterfront Depot. There you go. <laughs> um, but he's in Israel, my, my youngest son. And my mother, I, I knew she was bearing the weight on her own. And uh, she's an amazing woman. And I said, how you doing? And uh, just tested her. I said, because I knew Jake's not there. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm carrying a lot of weight. And this verse came to me. I said, Mom, I said, remember this. Don't carry things he hasn't assigned, OK? And we don't control anything. You do your best. Trust the Lord. And then this, remember, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
we are called to live lightly. Are you bearing weight? Am I bearing weight that he did not assign me? Some things we cannot control. We do our best. We leave it in his hands. If I'm starting to get myself defined and wrapped up in and tight, and wound up, and tangled, and angry, and that is not the Lord. That, that's not, he want, that is not him. Whatever that is, it's not him. Okay. 33, verse 33. And they rose that same hour. This is, we'll close with these three verses. This is the final three verses that we're sharing. And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. Now, what they do, right, <laughs> and, and he's appeared to Simon, right? This is almost like, he appeared to Peter. So, the Lord's alive. And they come back, and they say, and then they told them of what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So, what happens is, remember, they had told the stranger, Jesus, they had said, you got to stay with us. The day is coming to a close. Night's about to fall. No need to travel on the road. It's dangerous. And besides, we've got a place for you to stay. Stay with us. Let's share a meal together. They have this moment. Jesus breaks the bread. They recognize who he is. He's gone. Then they look at one another and they go, oh my goodness, did not our heart burn within us? He's alive. And you know what they decide? We're heading back to Jerusalem. Seven miles in the other direction. Not a hesitation, because when your heart's on fire, you'll go. Oh, it's so hard. Why do I have to do this? Why do I? When your heart's on fire, seven miles is nothing in the night. And what do they want to do? They want to get back. They want to tell them, you're not going to believe what happened. We got to tell them Jesus is alive. They get there, and they're beat before they even have a chance to, do you hear the news? Jesus is alive. We were going to tell you that. Yeah, but we got you first. He appeared to Simon. <laughs> well, listen to what happened to us. We were walking on the road, and he showed up. We didn't know it at the time. Man, our hearts, man, he, oh, he started teaching the scripture. Oh, and then when he broke the bread, our eye was saw. It was amazing. You see the Cleopas and his friend, I mean, they, again. And that got me thinking, I've really got to hustle here. We want to tell our stories of God's doings. Ha. Ah, and so we look for fellowship with others when our heart's on fire, don't we? And we want to share, we want to find others who share a love, who share our love for the Lord. That's the gathering place of community. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we yearn for because it's the place where we get to share the story of, of what Jesus is doing among us like we're doing right now. It's been said that logs close together burn brighter. You want to catch fire, one of the ways to do it, I'm talking about for the Lord, with the Lord, get next to somebody who's on fire. Spend some time. Sometimes I'm in a certain place, I go, I need to be around that person. Let's pray together. Can you pray with me? I need some of that fire. Oh, do you see it? What begins in communion ends in community. I love that. He breaks the bread and they end up in community. What begins in communion ends up in community and turns into ministry. And here's the last piece of this. Because whenever our hearts are on fire, we want to even do more than just come together. We want to start sharing our stories with others 
who don't know him on the outside. You hear what I'm saying? If I can say, that's, that's what happens. Because when our heart's on fire, we want to be with those who love him. Wait, when our heart is on fire, his word takes on new meaning. When our heart is on fire, we see lessons everywhere. Everywhere I hear his voice. Everywhere I see his goodness. When our heart's on fire, we want to be with those who share a love for him. And when our heart's on fire, we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to share it with somebody else. And that's our cornerstone mission statement. You know that? And that, to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. Hey, you know what? That is so good. Yeah, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. I need you to turn to one person next to you, and if you forgot what it is, look at it, and then say it to one another. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. Even at Lakewood said you do it. Come on, live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way. That's the way. Because a heart that is on fire is a contagious, it's a contagious one. It loves his name and spreads the flame. Let's pray. Lord, we want to have a greater love for you, and we want to be a, a life giver. Imperfect as we are, and we are ah, sometimes foolish and slow to believe, but you use us. You'll have us. You love us. You want us to love you back. How can I love you? Shared this with someone last night, Lord. How can I love you? Not to earn your love, but because I'm loved. I want to live out my life for you as best as I can. Help me, Lord. Um, the love of Christ, as Paul said. A man on fire said it. The love of Christ constrains me. Lord, pull us, pull us on. Pray. Light the fire in our hearts. Bless our closing time. Bless our giving time. All the faithful ones who make our church, who honor you with their first fruits. We ask for you to bless our time of giving, but bless this song becomes our closing song. Um, it just takes this theme and drives it home. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.